Hi, everybody. This is episode four of the Dave Cotter Experience, and this is called From Cocaine and Crack to Back on Track. So on this episode, I have an old friend, Dan Mason. I met him a couple of years ago when I was working on the beaches in Garrettstown. Really nice guy, really fun guy, great crack to be around. Um, but little did I know at the time that Dan was struggling really, or well, he was just about to embark on what was going to be a couple of years of kind of mayhem for him. Um, and he found himself in the grips of crippling addiction from everything to cocaine, to MDMA, to pills, to eventually crack. And it all started when he was very young. So we've compiled an episode here that I think would be very useful to people. Um, and I'm not really one to ask people to share it on their stories. But I think if people do want to, I think this would be the one that I would ask someone to share because I think it might be useful. You might not know someone struggling with addiction, whether that be gambling or or um, drink or, or drugs. So I think it might just be useful. Maybe the episode will shed some light and maybe it'll show someone that there is help out there or they can contact someone that they may know and that there is always someone that they can um, get in contact with that can help them. Um, also, I just want to apologize for the echo. There's an echo because I didn't have headphones in for the first two minutes of the the podcast. So apologies for that. Um, we cleared that up about two minutes in. Um, other things, I want to apologize in advance for the cursing. Um, there is a lot of cursing in it. If you were easily offended, I wouldn't. I, it might not be the one for you. But again, I think that's the crudeness of the actual episode itself. And it is a very candid look and introspective look at how myself and Dan would probably talk if if we didn't have eyes on us as well at the same time, or ears on us rather, at the same time. Um, so bear in mind, you're listening to a conversation between two people who hadn't seen each other for a while and were talking as if they would talk without ears on them. Um, so if you don't like the word fuck, you probably won't like this episode, um, more so in my case than Dan's, because I was just letting it out left, right and center. Um, again, thanks to everyone for supporting it. Um, and thanks for the feedback. Um, hopefully I can deliver a couple more interesting ones. So um, without further ado, here we go. Episode four. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Maradona just walked away from Motherland. Maradona With the age of 20, I went to London and I won the Mr. Universe contest as the youngest Mr. Universe ever. And it was because I had a goal. Let me tell you this, the older you do get, the more rules are going to try to get you to follow. <laughs> you just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. 
And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Warner, you got some more in you. 21, yeah, get it again. Come on, we want to see it. Good, 22. Who's going to carry the boats and the logs? A man is supposed to take care of his family because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. This is the calm before the storm, before the surge. And when it comes, and it will come, never will so many ask so much of so few. Right. I'd say we're live now, lad. So what was I going to say to you? You look like fucking... Um... You look like someone who should be online with KSI and all in with the, with the, with the, um, <laughs> the, headset. the gamer headset. <laughs> Wouldn't um, be bad. I'd say I was thinking back there, lad. I probably haven't seen you since I bumped into you one night, an electric picnic, and you were fucking a bit worse for wear a couple of years ago. I'd say it was back in 2017, 2018. Do you remember it? I was, do you know what? I was. I was driving, I was. I drove to Galway and back today, and uh, on the way back, I was listening to the podcast you've done with Decky, and it was, remo- it, it, it really brought me back, thinking about your banter, like, you know, it hasn't really changed between the two of you, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it had me thinking back, and then I was thinking, I was like, have I seen, and I was like, I've definitely seen Dave somewhere, like, over the last few years. I was like, I wonder, was it at Indy or Electric Picnic or something? But that must be it. It must be Electric Picnic. I, I saw you. I saw you. You were lying on the fucking the, the ground in the middle of the field in um, Electric Picnic. But I'd say, do you know what? I actually met you one or two parties, I'd say, in college as well. So it wasn't um, an isolated event. But you fucking, um, I rang it in. Because I saw on your Instagram, I don't know when you put the post up. Obviously, I hadn't seen you in a while, and I really hadn't talked to you properly in a while. But you had a post up that you were kind of thanking all of your friends and your family and all these people for helping you. So I kind of presumed that you had some sort of mental struggle and stuff like that. So I said, you know, I'm always kind of looking out for people that I know that have kind of went through something or, you know, um, have an interesting story to tell. So that's why I got on to you to do this was because yeah. I thought, you know, you might be able to shed some light on mental health and things like that. And little did I know when I rang you yesterday that there was a lot more to meet the eye with the story. Yeah, yeah, well, I when you said to me that you were kind of been watching from afar, I kind of guessed as much that that's what it was, was probably that post, like, and I didn't give too much away in that post either, like. Um, but, yeah, I suppose I, since we last kind of... I suppose since we were last in touch that many years ago, like I was, um, I was through the depths of it. I was dragged through the depths of it, really, and I'm out the other side of it now. But regardless, uh, I suppose I was struggling, struggling for eight years with addiction. I suppose the thing is, I'm so used to telling my story now because obviously I, su- well, not obviously, but I suffered with addiction there for eight years. Um, I would have probably. I would have definitely been suffering, starting to suffer with it anyway, when we were around each other, lifeguarding and that, mm-hmm. um, unbeknownst to myself. 
And I suppose it just progressively got worse um, over the years. Um, and because you now the way I stay clean and sober, like obviously with the, the addiction, it brought a lot of mental health issues and stuff. Um, but now that I'm clean and sober, I mean, I stay clean and sober by going to AA and NA meetings and stuff. And I yeah. suppose I'm very used to telling my story because I have to do it a couple of nights a week, like yeah, yeah. in in the AA and NA rooms. So I'm blue in the face when telling it, really. And so, what age were you? Like, I presume your first addiction was um, drink. Yeah, well, I suppose drink and weed kind of came close enough with each other. They wouldn't have been too far apart. And in hindsight, that kind of kicked off when I was about 16. Uh, I suppose as soon as I started drinking, I became very fond of it straight away. Um, And I think, looking back, I think that that was because I was always looking for a way to fit in, like, you know, not fit in. Like, I had friends, but there was always kind of something missing with me. Like, I... I fit I fit in, but I I didn't feel like I fitted in. Um, is that um? Do you think like obviously you know growing up in Ireland, there's like the predominant things like you know you have your GA and your soccer's and your rugby are probably the big four things for lads anyway that you kind of fit in with groups because of that. No, not everyone, but yeah. like you were this kind of I suppose eccentric surfer dude. You didn't really have an interest in the kind of you know the normal sports. In Ireland, yeah. so maybe you weren't meeting up with your school friends outside of school or, you know, in a sporting setting or whatever. Do you think that was kind of half of it or am I yeah. completely left the field here? No, no, that like, I never thought of it that way before, but definitely, yeah, it was definitely a contributing factor. Like, you know, I never really had, you know, close groups through GA or soccer or anything like that because I was useless. I tried them like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was useless. But I'd say, like, that definitely was a contributing factor, but I'd say it was more deep-rooted than that. Do you know what I mean? I was bullied a lot in primary school and stuff, um, and I think that kind of carried with me, you know, kind of trying to break from that. Um, That kind of idea I had of, I suppose, people in general my own age, like, from being bullied in primary school. but, like, in saying that, like, I can't remember a whole lot of primary school, but I can I can just remember crying a lot, like, and I had friends, I had friends in primary school, but I can still remember, I don't know, I, I, I can remember being, I'd say, an easy target, because I wasn't, I wasn't an easy kid, like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. a bit difficult. So, um, so, like, I suppose, when you started, or when, when the drinking kind of crack came along, you were probably, or maybe I'm wrong now with this, but you were probably doubling down on your efforts to be the crack lad. So you'd fucking everyone would, you know, this is Dan, like he's great crack. Look at him, he's here at the party. Like, you know, Dan is the party, like. Yeah, and and that that came very natural to me as well. You know what I mean? Um, and that's exactly what happened. Like, I doubled down on my efforts, and I suppose like when I was in treatment. I was think like I had to think back and all this stuff and I had such a I didn't know what was going on when I was in treatment. I had absolutely I was lost. I had absolutely no insight into myself. I was 
emotionally stunted I had about the, I had the emotional maturity of like a 15 year old 14 15 year old at 23 years of age mm-hmm. um and I just had no idea what was going on so I had to look back into all this stuff and I kind of had to be coached by counselors on how to look back into all this stuff and one of the conclusions I came to was that when I started drinking just like you said there like I brought the party and it was an opportunity for me to get a big bunch of friends because you know the way it works when you're mm-hmm. 15 16 going bushing like there could be a hundred people bushing like you know what I mean yeah um and like especially up here in Douglas you know like I go down to Douglas Park there some nights and there could be 200 people in the park drinking all around the same age like you know yeah um and I suppose it was it was very easy for me to just fit in with that because anyone who was drinking fit in do you know that kind of way mm-hmm. like, and I suppose I had my few friends from school but then I suppose that kind of brought me closer with all the lads because we were all doing the same things then so like yeah. you said like you know this was a replacement for what many people got from the gar or soccer or whatever like this was my kind of version of that because yeah. there's nobody surfacing the city like you know yeah yeah so like, any of my surfing friends, any of my surfing friends aren't from, you know, aren't from the city, like, so. You might meet them once in the blue moon, like, for an actual surf session. You wouldn't meet them all the time, especially when you're not in school, or when you're in school anyway, like, sure, you'd have the fucking, yeah. you know, a couple months a year, you wouldn't see them probably. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Um. So, when you were, um, when you started drinking, obviously you were, was it 14 or 15, you said? Uh, it was around 15, going on 16, kind of. Um, so, would you have been, like, I know I was probably around the same age when I when I started drinking, I'd say, but I didn't, like, I used to drink for a teenage disco or something like that, you know, I was, but I'd never, like, you know, if there was nothing on, on a Friday or Saturday night, I wouldn't go out drinking. Were you kind of always from the minute you kind of had your first gaff where you always like oh I want to you know we'll go again next Saturday night boys or you know back down yeah. to the fucking park in Douglas like well yeah like I, I fell in love with it instantly like um I, I, I love drink um I suppose straight away it was any opportunity I got I was drinking like um and looking back when I was 16 around Christmas time I actually drank something ridiculous, like 40 days in a row or something. Um, no, it was like three or four cans every day. But, you know, that was getting me pissed. And I can remember one or two nights I was actually down in the park by myself, like, you know, um, yeah. waiting to see was anyone going to come in. But I was I was still drinking anyway, like, you know. Okay, and, so you didn't even have it planned, like you were just heading down there in the hope that someone would come down and you could have the crack with them, like. Yeah, yeah, literally, like, literally. Um, and like, do you know, this all came back to me in complete hindsight. I never thought about any of this, like, do you know, mm. I n- never thought about the fact that I was an addict or an alcoholic or any of that until it all came crashing down like you know until I hit rock bottom um and that I suppose that that's the case for a lot of addicts or alcoholics like you know it's not until 
they hit rock bottom and they want to get help for themselves that they can actually manage to get sober like you know yeah. um with obviously the help of a fellowships or na fellowships or you know treatment centers or whatever yeah. but um it, it takes for for someone in addiction to hit rock bottom before they like could you have to do it for yourself mm-hmm. you know you can't it, it doesn't work if you're doing it for anybody else like if you're doing it for family or if you're doing it for courts or if you're doing it for anything else it's not going to work it's only going to last so long yeah. because you know you're operating you're running on kind of self-will there like you know and you're doing it for the wrong reasons you have to be doing it for yourself and for most addicts or alcoholics or anyone in addiction it yeah. takes to hit rock bottom before you know they they'll get a grasp of recovery like you know? yes yeah so like but i suppose when you're fucking whatever like you were 15 or 16 like you're you're not really gonna or 16 i suppose you're pushing into your late teens here now as well but like an addict or an addiction like to me that doesn't even cross my mind like if one of my friends even right now was drinking seven nights a week you know it still wouldn't even cross my mind like oh he's an alcoholic oh no geez that's kind of something that a 40 year old man is it's not a young man's thing you know we get away with it kind of a thing you know in my head that's what i'd be thinking but you're now hearing it like of course you can have you know these fucking struggles like and that's the thing like you know addiction is not understood well enough there's not enough information out there about it in the general public um for people to know like it's very normal thing for you to not think of like one of your friends that's it because he's in his mid-20s to be out drinking seven nights of the week you're thinking oh that's an old man's thing but like i met people like i have friends in recovery like had and have friends in recovery that are like 18 and addicted to heroin like you Mm -hmm. know um and they're 18 years of age in recovery, so you can only imagine what, what age they started using at, like, you know, yeah. addiction has no bones um, with, with any addiction, like, whether it be eating disorders, gambling addictions, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, any addiction whatsoever has no bones, and it's it's looked upon wrong, because people yeah. think a down and out, like, you know, someone who's on the street, homeless or whatever, they think that's what addiction is but like that's not what addiction is that's where addiction has led some people you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that's where it's being viewed wrong like people don't know enough about addiction like they don't care enough about it to know enough about it you know i think i think as well definitely in in young people's case man it's it's definitely definitely alcoholism anyway you know it's definitely brushing under the rug you know if you see a lad going out a couple of nights a week drinking that's fine you know but if you see them out you know if you see you know one of your stoner friends in college or you know one mm. of your stoner friends that you just met you know oh he's an addict but the fellow who's out drinking isn't like you know that yeah. kind of a, you definitely and, and there's probably you know one probably like you know weed is probably nearly better for you i don't know like it's probably better for you than drink is like you know without a doubt without a doubt we the only difference is they're illegal like you know yeah. weed is illegal and weed is without a doubt in my opinion now i'm no doctor like but from experience weed is definitely more manageable than alcohol 
And that's not taken away from the fact that weed is an addictive drug. Mm-hmm. But because we, Jesus Christ, weed brought me to my knees just as much as alcohol did. Because if you're an addict, you're an addict. It doesn't matter what substance it is. But with regards to being able to manage life and all that, and with regards to effects on the body, um, weed is much more subtle than alcohol. The only difference, the only reason alcohol is looked upon more lightly is because it's legal. And I suppose that's a culture problem as well. Do you know, you see a fella there going out, like it's very normal for fellas our age to be going out three, four, three, two, three, four nights mm-hmm. a week having a few pints. Or even for a fella to be going for two or three pints every night after work, like, you know? Yeah. Um, because they're young and that's what young people do. Um, but that's a culture problem because that is alcoholism. And sooner or later, that's their lives are gonna become unmanageable and you know, um yeah. they're become, gonna come they're gonna become powerless over it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I suppose I like if you're if you're um you know, it's like anything, you know, if you're practicing something, you're going to get good at it. Like, how the fuck do you get good at hurling? You fucking go and hit a slitter off a wall five yeah. nights a week and you become the best player in hurling. Like, how do you get good at drinking? You do it five nights a week, like, and non-stop, and you become fairly fucking good at it, and it's hard to stop. Like, it becomes reflex- reflexive, like, you know? Uh, and that's you. That's the nail on the head right there. Like, you know, like I was saying, with a culture, with the culture thing, like, you know, it's, 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 like you're you're a big man, you're 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 popular, like Jesus, he fucking drink anyone under the table, like he's a legend, you know that kind of way. Andre the giant spec like seven bottles in one go. Yeah, but like that's that you know, that's Irish culture, like, you know? All my uncles slagged my dad. My dad's from New Zealand, like, you know, and mm. when my dad came over from New Zealand, my all my uncles most of, like my mother has four brothers, like, and they're out and out Irishmen, like you know, yeah. and they're big drinkers, like. But yeah. to an Irish, to an Irish standard, normal drinkers, mm-hmm. like, do you know what I mean? And when my dad came over, they were like, when he first came over, like, you know, with my mother, like, they were bringing him down shot glasses of whiskey, yeah. and or no, no, sorry, shot glasses of Guinness, and they were saying, "Here, but here, boy, that's all you can handle, like, you know, you're not Irish <laughs> at all, like, you know that kind of way." Yeah. And then my dad, my dad actually is a lightweight, and he was there drinking back five pints, trying to like show, like prove a point, prove and being like carried that. home after five pints, like you know. And they were saying he's a wimp, like this yeah. and that, you know. But sure, that's the thing, like you know, when you're out, like it, it is a race to who can get shit faced the first, like you know. Now I actually, I don't actually drink that often because I get fucking brutal hangovers, like so I might drink like once a month these days, if even like. But like my friends would always mock me, like they'll fucking say you know i'll go on a session with them for the first time in three months and they'll say all right like they actually funnily before i moved back up or i moved up to galloway or the session with them i think that was back in probably june or july and they said to me right so i did we won't see it till christmas which they won't like because i'll be going to hibernation because i fucking just feel so sick after it's like yeah i'd be puking and everything like but you know like it is it is a fucking competition when you're there with lads like it's like measuring dicks like you know it's you're there it seeing who can fucking drink the most and jesus christ he's after a shawl or on top of that like you know it's yeah it's all it's like you know yeah and so, it's 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 not it's not a good way of thinking like because 
our country is rife with addiction, like, you know, um, and that culture, because I was, I was listening, I was listening to the podcast with you and Decky um, earlier on, and I actually thought it was brilliant, by the way, I thought it was very informative, um, good crack, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, like, um, Thank you. but you were talking about um, that fella, uh, What's his name? Uh, Carl Hart. Uh, some fella that was going on about um, that if you know, like drugs should be taken uh, properly, they're looked upon wrong, that everyone yes. should try heroin and everyone should try crack and yes, all this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I didn't buy that argument too much like because I've listened to him on podcasts before and I don't know, I can't buy it too much to be honest. Well, yeah, like nobody should buy that argument because, right, I don't have anything against alcohol or drugs. As a matter of fact, I love alcohol and drugs. But I'm, I was brought to my knees by alcohol and drugs. And the only reason I love them is because I'm an addict, right? Mm. I'm an alcoholic, right? And I don't have anything against them. But in my opinion, I don't think any, anyone should try them. I don't, especially drugs. I don't think anybody should try drugs. Yeah. Um, and I know... Drugs can be great crack for people who aren't addicts and mm -hmm. they can be amazing experiences or whatever. So I've heard and so I experienced once upon a time, but it's not worth running the risk of addiction because you, any one of us could be an addict and not know it until mm -hmm. you try that first stroke. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And addiction has scared me so much. The places it brought me to, it scared me so much that I would say to nobody to try drugs yeah. because because you're running the risk of unearthing addiction in yourself. Like, do you know what I mean? I yeah. had no idea I was an addict until I tried drugs, you know, yeah. and it brought me to my knees. And it's the case. Nobody knows they're an addict until they're in addiction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. why why run the risk with something that's very very addictive? Like most drugs are extremely addictive. Like fair enough, food isn't that addictive. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So like, with eating disorders and stuff, it's kind of there's it's a bit different to drug addiction or alcohol addiction because drug addiction and alcohol addiction is so addictive the substances are highly highly addictive like mm -hmm. you know you were talking about that fella saying to try crack i was highly addicted to coke and i had it in, in the back of my head to try crack and i was thinking oh, i'd be grand i take coke all the time like you know i'll do crack once yeah. you know and just to see what the bang is like see see what that next level is because crack is based cocaine like you know it's mm -hmm. 100 like hooked down all the impurities gone pure coke and the second that crack pipe hit my lips, I've never felt addiction like this. From the very first pull of it, I was hooked. As in, I was in a hole. Like, straight away. Like, I did not take that pipe away from my lips for a month. Fuck. And that's, that's when, and I, I, I happened, I ran out of money, I ran out of everything. I was literally on the street, right? Yeah. And, and I had a moment of clarity. And I got out of there and I, I got I just got out of Dublin, got on the bus back to Cork 
and managed eventually after a couple of weeks got myself into a treatment center but there's more to that story but i'm going to park it there for a sec but like that's 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 the what i'm trying to get the point i'm trying to get across now that is that's the risk you're taking mm-hmm. is you don't know what type of personality you have you have you could, no be, you could be a one-hit wonder or you could be a fucking lad who loves it like exactly you could yeah. be hooked from the get-go even if you never tried drugs before in your life yeah i've seen it i've seen it happen to people i've seen people get addicted never tried drugs and then they tried them and addicted like that they're on them like yeah 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 so we'll say going back to the story chronologically like of how how you kind of got yourself into we'll say to the point of where you had to bring yourself to um a rehabilitation center so you were we'll say we're at the point now, I suppose I met you on the beach when when I was 17, you were probably 18 or 19, I'd say. Um, yeah. I'd say that was probably 2016 or 2017. So you're still partying away. And have you tried kind of class A drugs at this point? You probably have, like, have you? Well, I was just getting into ecstasy at 17. Um, and that took a grip of me pretty fast. But it was gradual, do you know what I mean? As in, I tried it at a festival when I was 17, and I loved it. Um, Because obviously, like, ecstasy, MDMA, it's a feeling of euphoria, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you it releases all the endorphins in your brain and dopamine and all that, and you get this massive feeling of euphoria, and it's amazing. It's like no feeling you've ever gotten before. And... But I just... I'll touch back on this again. You're running the risk of addiction, but taking these drugs. But I suppose I tried that at a festival when I was 17. And then the summer, that summer went by. And then that winter, it was like at the weekends, I was kind of getting to the age where I was able to get into nightclubs and stuff in Cork. So I was still open. And I suppose in Savoy then I was exposed to drugs like, you know, I kind of had it in my head as someone's guaranteed to have ecstasy or whatever. You were hunting it like, and a night I, out, like you were you, hunting it at this point. Every night out you have to have you no know, fucking a pill or a, a fucking a bag of MD. It got to that stage. It got to the stage where I was like, at the start, I was kind of like, oh yeah, someone might have yolks in here. And if I got them, I got them. If I didn't, I didn't. It was kind of like mm-hmm. that. But then eventually, oh, as the year was going on, it was kind of like, you know, every weekend kind of a thing. And like I was getting 20 of them going on a night out, 30 of them going on a night out. You were getting 30, and, 30 pills going on yeah, a night out. And you were like, still in secondary school, we'll say. Yeah. And I took one night, I took 13 in one sitting. Um, and like, you know, I had like a bit of a seizure and... I didn't actually, I actually came out of the sea, I was foaming at the mountain stuff, and my mate was just about to call the ambulance, I was in his house, and he actually, um, he, I came out of the seizure before he called the ambulance, so he just kind of watched me for the rest of the night, instead of, you know, calling yes. the ambulance or whatever, um, and I suppose... I kept going and then I suppose I went from York to MDMA because I was watching movies and stuff about raves and yeah. all this it was like it wasn't with me it wasn't like just addiction I was up like it was addiction like the it culture was, was cool to you like 
Yeah, I, I, but I was obsessed with everything to do with drugs. Any drug I was taking, I was researching it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the stuff that Decky was talking about there, with all the psychedelics and all that. Like I knew a lot of that stuff yeah. already, and I had like you know kind of inputs on it from what I had researched. You know, because mm-hmm. anything I was taking, I was so fascinated by drugs. Yeah. That like. Like my mother even says it to me. She was like, I used to get scared all the time because you knew so much about drugs. Yeah, like yeah. she knew I was taking, she knew I was smoking weed and she didn't know to the extent that I was, you know, taking yolks or whatever. She thought, I, she thought I was kind of doing it maybe once every festival, every couple of festivals or something like, you know, and yeah. she kind of put it to the back of her mind. But like I, I go into these lengthy conversations like with her about like you know the effects of MDMA on like I was watching this documentary about a woman with depression she had cancer and she had depression and that the MDMA actually or she had post traumatic stress disorder and the MDMA actually made her be able to live her life again and all this yeah, and yeah. talking about the science behind MDMA and all this at 17, 18 years of age yeah and I suppose then I I moved from York to MDMA. Because I was like, MDMA is pure yokes from, you know, it's the drug in yokes. Yeah. And I suppose that that just went woof, again, like, you know, it was yeah, just yeah. excess, like, you know, straight away. Without me knowing it, though, because it was like it was a weekend thing and everyone I was yeah. around was doing it, like, in the nightclubs, this and that. And I suppose then moving on from there I've I done something like like with addiction comes all the stupid things all the consequences like you know yeah. I was fucking crashing cars I didn't have to even have a license you know mm-hmm. I was in chases from the guard in cars that weren't belong to me off my head on yokes or MDMA or whatever yeah. and I suppose then I was getting drugs off this fella um, and he offered me coke one day, I was actually meant to be studying for the Leaving Cert yeah. um, in the library in Douglas. And yeah. uh, he was like, I've caught there as well if you want that. And I was fuck it, he was giving it to me on kick, like, you know, credit. Yeah. Like, and so I was like, fuck it, give me a bag of that as well. And I suppose that's where my cocaine addiction kicked off. And so and you'd never, you'd never tried coke before. So you, and you were happy enough to try it yourself, like. Yeah, pretty, like, I might have had a line or something, or a couple of lines off my head somewhere, you know, yeah. on yokes, and not realised what had been going on or whatever, but yeah. this was me, like, you know, being like, yeah, I'll try coke, I'll do this, like, you know. Nevada kicking in, like, give it to me, boy. I went to try everything, so I'm an encyclopedia kind of a thing. Like. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly, and it was like, so I can actually see if it lives up to what I've read up about it, yeah. and this and that. And I suppose that was kind of like the Oaks again, like, you know, it was like kind of if I could get it uh, on the weekends, I would. And then eventually it got more and more. But the progression was kind of more spread out with the Coke because mm-hmm. it's so expensive. Was yeah, probably okay. the only reason with it. And like in the midst of all this, I kept the weed, I kept everything like to drink or last the whole time. And I suppose it's sorry now I I just got a it was a knock on the door. Um I thought you had a vision like that's already yeah. or something there. <laughs> no, 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 there was a there's a knock on the door and my brain shut off for a sec. Um but 
I suppose it it escalated over a longer period of time. And like through that then, like, you know, I had the weed and the drink. They were mm-hmm. they always stayed with me. Always stayed with me. And I dropped the oaks in the MD. I got I stopped with them because they had too much of an effect on my body and I wasn't getting the euphoria anymore. And okay. the coke was doing more for me. Um I was kind of on that buzz then, you know what I mean? But my kidneys and everything were fucked from the MDMA, like, you know, because yeah, I was yeah. taking it so often that I was waking up and I was hunched like that and I couldn't actually... Oh, your like, back was sore, like... My back was sore, my kidneys were sore, my liver was sore, like, I was actually, like, my... I was I was in a bad medical state, like... Yeah, yeah. So I changed <laughs> to coke. <laughs> um, oh, lovely. Swapping, <laughs> swapping one for the other, yeah. But that it kind of happened naturally anyway. I was already yeah, kind of okay. experimenting with the coke, but I suppose that went on, and the, 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 the stuff that I caused, like you know, I was robbing my sister's money. No, I, I was just si- gonna ask you how, like, because, like, geez, everyone, you know, the man from the moon knows the drugs are expensive, like, and now I know a, p- a pill is probably 10 quid, like you could probably get a nagging and a couple of cans and, you know, you'd sort yourself out with one of them. But if you're buying a lot of them, like you said, 30, now you're probably getting them for cheaper if you're buying them in bulk. But like, how, like, where are you working at this time or are you just kind of fucking selling I, them as well or what? I worked all along, but obviously that only goes to... That only goes so far, you know yeah, what I mean? So like, at that point, what are you getting? Like, six, seven euro an hour working in the shop or something like that? Yeah. Well, yeah, about a ten or an hour working in the shop. But then there's obviously things you have to do to fulfill your addiction. Um, like, you know, I suppose you have to find other ways to fulfill your addiction. Yeah. And whether it be robbing people, whether it be selling drugs, whether it be doing whatever... Um, I'm not gonna admit. To, I'm not gonna admit to anything on here, but yeah. you can leave it to your own imagination. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna say it straight up what I was doing, but you can imagine what I was doing. As in, yeah. like, you know, I was doing. But it all goes with addiction. Like you, yeah. you, you have to fulfill your addiction, and the only way to do that. Is by selling by any drugs. means necessary, like yeah, by any means necessary, like selling drugs or robbing your family or whatever. And yeah. I, I, I done it all, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose, like it just it it went it went fucking mental, like you know it went. And this is this is still on, like you're what are what are you here? Nineteen? You're just leaving sort of your kind of still. Yeah, coming out of leaving cert, uh, yeah. true leaving cert year. I did transition when from MD to coke in leaving cert year, um, and then I was lifeguarding that summer mm-hmm. um, again. And I remember leaving cert night happened, and I think what? I remember you telling us stories of your leaving cert night. We'll carry on anyway. So you're back from your leaving cert night. Back from leaving that night, um, and I was, I, geez, I took probably eight or ten yokes that night, uh, and that was probably like that. That that was I only done the yokes that night because it was leaving that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the coke at the time, and then that escalated through, and then I was moved on to festivals, and I was going to four or five festivals a year, um, 
in can Ireland. Can I just say, Dan, as well, like, I, I, I knew you that summer, like, and to us, this, like, I would never have really seen the class ages, obviously, like, you know, just fucking smoking weed and drink that kind of fucking almost preschool shit to, like, what we were hearing from, from you, like, you know, and yeah. to be honest, like, I suppose I was 17, maybe 18, I'm not sure what I was. But, like, I remember seeing you and hearing the stories, and I was like, holy shit, this is fucking MTV sort of stuff, like, you know? <laughs> it was like, Jesus, this guy's like Steve-O, like, you know? <laughs> well, that, that's that's a thing with addiction. Um, when you're in addiction, you'll kind of do things to get yourself away from it. So, like, me going lifeguarding during the summer, I was down in West Cork, I couldn't get my hands on classes, but mm-hmm. I was drinking flat out flat out like yeah um i was smoking weed here and there you know um because at that couldn't really even get weed down in west park you know mm. um but i was drinking flat out it's like if you're always substituting if you can't get your hands on one you're getting your hands on the other you know what i mean something to fill the void like that's the way it works you know what i mean and you'll do you'll fill the void to excess you know um and like you know that's that's all kind of then I went into CIT after that summer um, and I was doing applied bioscience in CIT and Jesus Christ, I spent most of the year on the couch in the common room on a come down, like, you know, uh, yeah. sleeping and whatever, out every night of the week, uh, drinking, taking yolks, taking coke. Like at, the, at the time, that must have been like, you know, a fucking spring break for you. Like, you know, you you were finally able to fucking ditch school. You didn't have to go to college. Like, you know, everyone out of mommy's fucking hands, mom and dad's hands, like they don't have a clue what I'm doing. I can go out here and fucking stay in Parchment or Dean's Hall or one of these all yeah. every night of the week. Like, and I have the fucking cracking on to say anything to me. Like. And that's exactly what it was. Like, that's what, exactly what it was. But... Even at that, like, I had no, like, I had no idea I was in addiction. I had no idea what yeah. addiction was, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, a lot of people don't, and, you know, they they figure it out way too late. Like, you know, I was very lucky to figure it out when I did at 23 years of age. But, like, it went through, like, it went on from there, like, you know, like, it went from there. I, I failed that year. Um... And then I went back in to repeat it, lasted six weeks. And then I worked like dead end jobs. Well, like I pool lifeguarded for a year and a half. I ended up getting fired from there after a year and a half. Um, because I was like, I was drinking all the time and stuff. And I was lucky I had a good relationship and work. So like with my managers and all that, mm. they all really liked me. One day I actually crashed a car and I hurt my ankle. And then went into work the next day and they sent me home from work. Um, and they were like, get that sorted or whatever, like, you know, and come back when it's sorted. But sure, I took like four weeks off. I came home to realize that my mom and dad had gone on holidays and I went on the beer yeah. and the drugs and whatever else for two or three weeks um, flat. Yeah. Um, and I lost that job and I was in and out and eventually I landed a job and I worked there for like a year and a half. And it was so handy for me because I was able to smoke weed all day, every day. I was able to, you know, we were... The shit that went on fucking in that place was just nobody's business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, like dude, yeah, I know a couple of fellas that are working there, and I'd say, you know, yeah, it's as good as a fucking, uh, a fucking shut down warehouse, I'd say, and a fucking yeah. big, big fucking industrial speakers like during the day, I'd say, it's as good as I'd say. Yeah, like 
<laughs> exactly like cocaine everywhere weed everywhere just outrageous stuff outrageous yeah. stuff going like when and again i suppose there. that's kind of carrying out like i don't know i've never really heard of any females working there but like if it was lads that you were hanging with is that's kind of fucking just same old crack from school again just measuring the dicks like you know look what we can do boys you know look we're getting away with this crack like you know yeah yeah and like we were and we were enabled in there as well like you know like we yeah. come in from lunch or whatever and team leads or whatever would say that you stink a week when and spray yourselves like you know mm-hmm. and it was just it was ridiculous and then that was a couple of years and then um a good friend of mine from wexford uh was doing an apprenticeship and he was working down near me like i'm in douglas and he called up for a cup of tea and he was like man there's loads of geos below like you're taking on geos i can get you in as a geo like if you want like you know he put his neck on the line for me yeah and um i suppose i, I was like jesus he told me the wage he was like uh oh it's fucking you'll be on 12 13 euro an hour and i was like jesus christ i was like get me in there like yeah and he was like uh, he was like if you want an apprenticeship then like you know you can go for an apprenticeship if you like it like I went into that and I loved it and I went for the apprenticeship. But you see, the thing is, you're on building sites then, like, yeah. the building sites are flooded with drugs and they're flooded with drug dealers. Yeah. And, like, there was fellas coming. This was a 300 million euro job, a massive pharmaceutical plant. And there was fellas coming in to me, like, you know, and they were saying, Jesus, like, I've two ounces of coke there, like, if you want it, like, um, you can pay me back in three weeks. Oh, for fuck's sake. Like, and yeah. I, and I, was, I was going, yeah, give it to me. And then another fellow would come. <laughs> of course, yeah, give it to me. Straight away, <laughs> straight away, I was saying, give it to me. I don't care how much it is. And then and then, and then, then another fellow would come and he'd say, oh, you have fucking, oh, you have nine ounces of weed there. Like, you know, if you want it, you pay me back in two weeks. And I'd say, give it to me. And like. So that, you, were the, you were the man, like you had it all then. Like. But I was, I, was t- I was taking it and smoking it all. I was fucking, I was taking nearly two or three ounces of coke a week in the end were like um i was smoking i was i was smoking jesus i was smoking well over an ounce or ounce and a half a week you know yeah um, so are you are you just constantly keying away coke at work here now at this stage like you're just fucking tearing yeah. into a bag every second of the day like yeah yeah. So you're going to the jacks, you're taking a bump, and then you're coming back, doing 15, 20 minutes of work, back into the jacks. Yeah. To have an old fucking joint for yourself, calm down a bit, and then fucking back on the bag again. Yeah. So, and like, are you going home in the evening? Are you able, you're sure you're fucking hardly able to sleep, like, are you? Uh, no, I wasn't getting much sleep at all. Um, And I suppose with that then, like, you know, I wasn't getting much sleep at all. My life was in shit, like, absolute shit. Like, I was living just for using and drinking and whatever, but I still didn't realise I was in addiction. Like, you thought this was just still you growing up, like, I suppose. Because, yeah, and I was functioning, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was going to work, I was getting the job done, like, I was quite good at what I was doing. Like, I was I got an apprenticeship in electrical instrumentation, and, like, Jesus, I was a whippet for, I am a whippet for the electrical work, like. Yeah. And, like, I just, I was getting the job done, like, and... I was liked on site and all that, and uh, like my life was actually functioning still, mm-hmm. but behind the scenes it wasn't. You know what I mean? I was in the yeah, high yeah. of death. I was. You know, I do kind I was, of. 
had you kind of lost track so what fucking kind of money right like if you're getting a fucking ounce of, of coke you know a couple of ounces of coke a week for your own use like or whatever and you're trying to pay this back like you know i know it's one thing if you're selling it but if you're using it for yourself it's a fucking hefty habit to be keeping going like but you see like i might get rid of a bit here and there and like yeah. see i'd have two or three dealers so like I'd get it off one fella, right? And I might yeah. get rid of a bit and then take the rest, take the majority of it, get rid of a bit. And then I might get it off another fella on pick as well. Yeah. And then get rid of a bit. And then I'd pay one fella to get more off him. And then... Have, uh, to so you were just strip feeding them back money, like... Rob, Rob and Peter to pay Paul, like... Yes, um, okay. And suppose that went on and the places where that led me i got moved up to dublin then with the job finished got moved up to dublin and and so what you're i suppose i'm on the time right now i'm just thinking you're probably 22 or 3 are you know at this stage yeah 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 like, okay. that was from yeah 22 and then moved up to dublin and then shit really got out of hand uh i suppose like I started up in Dublin then was just another market. Um like we were working in Coolock, um, and there was just drugs on tap. Dublin's the epicenter of it, like that's where it was, all the it was miles worse than Cork, like. Oh, that's what that's where all the drugs come from, like mm-hmm. all the drugs come from Dublin, like so like you know, it was cheaper, it was better, it was you know, more available. Um, are you are you are you rushing shoulders with really kind of rough, dangerous people? Or are you just kind of like getting it from a lad who no lad like you know? Or are you kind well, of well? At times, I would have brushed shoulders with some of the biggest drug dealers in the country, um, like proper proper rough lads. And mm. but that necessarily wasn't in Dublin. Um, yeah. But like in Dublin, I was I was brushing shoulders with rough lads, like um, yeah. um. And I suppose then, like, with addiction, you do bad shit to people. Like, you know, you lose. Yeah. You'll fuck you're, people over, like, and well, shit but like that. When you're that deep into it, right, you you lose. Well, me personally, I lost all of my values. I lost everything I was raised to be, like, you know, I had no mm. morals. I had no values. I completely lost touch with myself altogether. I had no idea who I was. And I suppose with that then, and you're getting into these states with drink and all that, I, I hurt people, like, you know, yeah. I've done things I shouldn't have done, uh, unbeknownst to myself, yeah. and having to be, like, in blackouts and whatever, and being told about it. And So you're getting a fucking all merciful fear, like. Oh, Jesus, to the point where I was actually full-blown suicidal. Um, hearing about things that I've done, like, you know, um, pain as things, like, you know. Yeah, because, like, I suppose after, like, you know, no one likes hearing something stupid from a night out, but they're fairly fucking, you know, preschool shit, like, you know. Yeah. You know, but, like, I could imagine the stuff now, like, now I know you're a sound lad, like, but the stuff, like, that anyone does under the circumstances, like, you're getting into debt now, I suppose, they're fucking using probably 24-7. And... You're doing shit like, you know, we've all seen TV shows, you know, like what people do when they're getting kind of into addiction and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly how it went for me. Do you know what I mean? I caused people harm, like, you know. Um, and then 
sobering up. And I suppose I was at a point where I didn't actually have the resources or the funds. I burned all my bridges with drug dealers and whatever, and I didn't have any money or anything to the point where I couldn't block it out. I couldn't block anything I'd done out with drink or anything like that anymore. I was able to get my hands on a bit of weed here and there or whatever, but I couldn't block it out and I got suicidal. And so drug dealers, they wouldn't even, in the end, they kind of stopped giving you gear as well, like? Yeah, I burnt all my bridges um, and to the point where I couldn't even get onto them because I'd probably be thrown into the back of a van and brought out to the countryside somewhere, like you see in Love Hate or something. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was, I was suicidal. I went to a bridge um, and with shallow water. Uh, it was about six, ten mil deep. Um, like, you know, that's an estimate, like, it's about that deep, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was a river, and I was just going to throw myself off the bridgehead first um, onto the stones or whatever. And I turned and I looked and I saw a plaque on the bridge and uh, it was a plaque for um, there was a name on the plaque and uh, two dates and I I googled it um, and I saw a de- I, I, I just googled it I took out my phone and I yeah. googled it and it was a death notice for someone who had committed suicide on that bridge um, and I managed to turn myself around and uh, walk back to where I came from. I actually walked into the city centre. It was about a two-hour walk. Um, and uh, I suppose from there, I stopped going to work because there was actually fellas waiting outside the building site for me. And so I stopped going to work and I was in such a depressed mindset that I was born into uh, Dublin city centre and uh, at this point now I'd lost all my friends pretty yeah. much. Uh, I had a few left that were still talking to me but the things I'd done people had just left me behind like uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I was so depressed. Uh, I hated myself like um and I, I I could not believe the things I'd done. I was having nightmares, everything. And I was had one incident, Stephen's Green. Um, and I was, because I knew there was homeless people hung out in St. Stephen's Green and I could ask them to get me weed, like, um, and I started getting them to get me weed or whatever. And they were bringing me to these flats and stuff to get weed and, I was getting weed and then eventually one day a fella turned around and offered me a crack pipe and this homeless dude that I'd been hanging out with, he was like in his 60s, he was an alcoholic and he said to me, don't, don't, don't. He said, it's a rabbit hole, I've been down it before, don't go down it, like, you know. This fella now was an out and out alcoholic, like drank from dusk to dawn, dawn to dusk, Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, on the streets. Slept, slept under the Gaiety Theatre, um, under the shelter there. Okay. And uh, I said, don't, it's a rabbit hole, don't go down it. And I ignored him and I took it and I was straight down that rabbit hole. I was hanging around the Oliver Bond, Bond Flats, like, smoking crack. Uh, it was, I had no, I, I, I was in such a place, such a daze, such a high 
that like it took completely took me out of my mind like um, so it's 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 not for, like it's coke but it's fucking a different animal obviously altogether oh it's completely different animal like so how how do you take it again you just fucking it's you know, a glass like, pipe is it with the cotton or the wire fucking gauze yeah I think wire gauze you put a bit of cigarette ash into the top of it and you put the crack on top of this cigarette ash then and you smoke it. But I was doing that um, and the Oliver Bond flats are the roughest flats in Dublin, like they're in the city centre. And I've said, like, I have friends from Dublin in the NA rooms, like in the NA fellowship. And they, I've said, like, oh, I was ended up smoking crack in the Oliver Bond flats. And they go, what? Like, you know, you are hardly in there, like, you know, yeah. even and these are dudes who came from addiction. <laughs> and then yeah. and they're and they're saying to me, You like what? How like that, that like how did you like how did you manage that? Like, you know? How did you get into security? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like how how did you manage to get yourselves to there? Like, you so know. That's, yeah, that's that's probably the pits, I suppose, is it? And I suppose I suppose I was very, very close to doing heroin because every time I was going to get crack I was hanging around with a homeless fella right he was this was when I was smoking the crack he was Irish he was awaiting um he was homeless because he was awaiting a sentence in Mount Joy uh for having a shotgun and shotgun shells in his house um and he was begging every morning outside Brown Thomas and he was getting about 130 euros every morning begging for about three hours and he was going away and he was buying a load of crack and he was bringing me smoking it with him and um, for some reason i don't know uh but you uh, obviously at this point like you would you go and meet up with him or were you actually yeah. like where oh so I, you knew every day that you could go meet up with this guy and you get your fix like yeah, yeah, I'd just meet him at Brown Thomas, like, I'd see him begging, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, it'd be another 20 minutes, and then we'd go off then to the Oliver Bond Flats, and we'd get cracked, like, um, and I suppose then, it was, that went on for about a month, and one day I was standing outside St. James Green, and three homeless dudes that I'd been hanging around with were standing by me, and they were like, like, can you, bro, go in begging, go in begging, you'll get loads and all this, yeah. and I just went, I must get some um and I got I literally got on a bus straight back to Cork. Um, oh, so like it was at that moment like when the three boys were saying go in like you know you'll get your fucking you'll be you'll be sorted once you head in like yeah take yeah. a seat like outside the fucking outside yeah. Brown Thomas by you make a mint. And that and I was lucky because that sat with me. Do you know what I mean? That got through to me somehow. I don't know how, but that yeah. got through to me. Um. And so how long were you actually smoking crack for a soul before you fucking about roughly uh, roughly about six weeks i'd say and are you like where where are you sleeping when all this is happening or are you just sleeping rough like kind of i was a master manipulator so and that's most people in addiction are like so i was actually staying in my uncle's house out in like a posh part of dublin he was putting me up and I was sober and up and up because crack wears off fairly fast. It only mm-hmm. lasts for about 10 minutes. Um, so at night time, I was sober and up and I was going back to the house in my work yeah. gear. I was leaving the house in my work gear every day. So I was manipulating them, like, you know, yeah, leading yeah. them believe that I was going to work or whatever. Um, and 
I was going back there every night. Um, and but then one day I just when they were telling me to go begging, I just got the bus and went back to car. Uh, and when I got back to car, I got the bus and I went straight down to my my aunt was over from New Zealand and I hadn't seen her in about ten years, and I had I had no idea she was in in Cork. She was staying in my house, my only aunt on my dad's side, my only aunt, like my no uncles, it's my only aunt yeah. on my dad's side. And I had no idea she was in Cork. She was in the house. I came in, said hi to her, didn't even really acknowledge properly that she was there. She was going home in three days' time. I went straight down to Wexford on a bus um, because I knew the boys in Wexford would, you know, be partying or whatever for the weekend. Mm. Uh, and I literally stayed down in Wexford for a whole week on the beer and the coke and whatever. And uh, my mother managed to get through to one of the lads, uh, a family friend, uh, and the drug dealer at the door. He was uh, he was looking for uh, ten grand. Um, okay. And I suppose I came back to Cork then, and my mother and father were like, Do you know. You'll have to go into a homeless shelter, John. You know, we can't put up with this. They were devastated, completely broken, like, and it was over a period of time that this had happened. Like, you know, they were, I'd been breaking them down over the years, like, you know. Yeah. And this was the last straw, like, you know, it was like, I'd been kicked out of the house before, like, I got kicked out of the house a couple of years before that. And I went up the road, rented an apartment up the road, and trashed the apartment over the course of nine weeks. Taken and and we made coke everything like you know absolutely yeah. destroyed the place until the landlord came down and showed my own pictures of the apartment and all this. Um, so like that happened like uh, even though my mum offered me to come home after a day, I stayed out for nine weeks using and in the apartment that was like a free pass for me. Sorry, no. When was when was this? So this was when I was about twenty. Okay, uh, okay. Sorry, I thought this was just when you were kind of. I thought this was after your man came to your door. No, no. Okay. When your man came to my door, then that was the actual point. That was the straw gone, like. But that is what. That's what made me realize I was an addict. Um, that sunk it down for me, and I turned around to my mom and I was like, "I'm an addict, like you know, I I I need help, like you know," and. she was like, this is another excuse. She was bawling, crying, like, you know, she was like, this is another excuse, this and that. So she was like, she went down to my granddad to tell my granddad everything that had gone on because she was broken. She didn't know what to do. So she went course, to her yeah. father, like, you know. And my granddad, luckily, we had family friends. Uh, well, like, my family has family friends. Uh, and... Uh, their son, who I would have grown up with, uh, was in recovery um, about 18 months at this stage. So my granddad put my mother into the car and drove her down to their house. And my buddy's parents, who my mom knows years like, yeah. uh, explained the whole addiction thing. So my mom came home and she was like, right, we need to get you into Tabor Lodge. So uh, they, they, their, their son obviously are, had been kind of through similar enough kind of crack, like. Yeah, yeah, like he'd been through it all as well, like um, 
So your mother just needed to know that you weren't fucking bullshitting before she could trust you, like because but like she heard it all before, like from your yeah. And but the thing is, when she knew nothing about addiction, nobody really knows anything about addiction unless they look into it, unless they have a reason to look into it, unless they're affected by it, like you know. Mm-hmm. So she she didn't know anything about addiction, so she that gave her kind of a small bit of an insight. So she was at Table Lodge, got me into Table Lodge. And I was lucky because I had that mentor, like, you know, my buddy there who had been in recovery about 18 months. He yeah. said to me, uh, he started bringing me to NA meetings. And I was going into these NA meetings, right? And I was a shell, like, um, and I was going into these NA meetings. And I was sitting there and I was listening to these people talking about being two years sober, a year sober. I was watching. How did they manage that? Like, you Boring know, fuckers. Like. <laughs> no, because I, I, I wanted it, but I didn't think it was possible. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I yeah. was at rock bottom and I wanted a new life, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was like, how did they manage that? Like, I don't know how. And then people were talking, you know, people, you can say anything you want in an NA meeting or an AA meeting or whatever. And you can say whatever you want, whatever's on your mind. And people mm-hmm. were talking, right? And I was, I was going, these, these fuckers reading my mind. I was, like, I was like, how do they know what I'm thinking? Like, they were just saying what they're thinking, is it? And yeah, yeah, like, they, were saying, they, they were saying what they were thinking. And I was going, how the fuck do they? Is someone have to tell them what I'm thinking? I was like, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. How, like, there was 40 people in this room, right? All different ages. And we were all having the same thought processes. Mm-hmm. Everybody that spoke was like they were picking a thought out of my head, like, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing with addiction. Like, it's an addiction. It, it, it's a disease of your thinking. It's a disease of the mind. It's, and you have, it's like what they say is you have a, an allergy to substances you have an allergy to drink you have like that's a physical allergy like you can't you can't put it down once you pick it up like you know Mm -hmm. um and i suppose i i kind of can't like so then i i went to table lodge and my buddy said to me he said leave everything down there let everything out of your mind like don't go down there and hold anything back. Anything that's on your mind, leave down there with the counsellors, right? Where where is this place actually, Dan? Sorry. It's just uh down by Manan Bridge. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So it's a 28 day uh, treatment centre, brilliant spot. Um now there's loads of treatment centre, 12 step, Minnesota 12 step recovery centres, rehab centres in in Ireland, like you know. Yeah. Um and the thing is, right. It's six and a half grand to get into one of these treatment centers. But also, but if you don't have the money, there's ways that the government will pay it. Healthcare covers it, you know, um, yeah. health insurance covers it uh, because it's a recognized illness. The, 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 the HSE recognizes it as an illness. Okay. So, the, the, like, the VHI will cover it, you know, yeah. any of these health insurance companies. I was lucky that my family has health insurance and I was on the policy because it was covered by that, but there's ways that the government will pay it, and you pay them back in installments. I don't so know. So they'll be that, stuck, like, no, never feel so like, like you can't go to them, like. Exactly, like, anybody, like, and there's, like, like, 
the first thing, if anyone is suffering with addiction, they need to get into, whether it be alcohol, whether it be gambling, whether it be drugs, there's meetings, there's, and they work off a program. There's a recovery program to follow, right? And my, my buddy told me, he was like, he said, bring me to the meetings. And he was like, do the suggested things, do as you're told. And I wanted this so bad, right? I was like, yeah, perfect. I'll do what I'm told. I'll do the suggested thing. I'll leave everything down in the treatment center. He was like, go to Fellowship House. is another treatment center. It's a secondary treatment center. So like you go into this place for three months and they reintegrate you into society. So like you go into this place and it's the same. You're doing group therapy. Like so in primary treatment, you're doing group therapy in the morning. You're doing meditation for 15 minutes, which is amazing. Just is that like breathing and mindfulness and shit? Yeah, which okay. is absolutely amazing, especially in early recovery, like even the whole way through for anybody in general. Like my mother does meditation now since I've come into recovery every night. Yeah. Um, it's you just guided meditation. It takes 15 minutes. It allows did, you, to... did you have to get dried out when you went in first? Like, or were you yeah. kind of fucking all right? Some some treatment centers have a detox program, but Table Lodge doesn't. So you have to dry out before you go in. You have to give clean urine samples. Um, you go to these pre-treatment things for a couple of weeks beforehand. Now you have to be fully clean from, let's say, like a heroin uh, drink, because the alcohol is the only substance that you can die from the withdrawals of. Yeah, yeah, yes, right? I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to be fully clean from drink, you have to be fully clean from heroin or any of the prescription opioids, so or else benzos. So like um the likes now of uh Lyrica or any of those heavy opioids, um you have to be fully clean from them. Whereas mm-hmm. with cannabis, if there's trace in your system a couple of days before you go in, that's they leave they let you in. Um, because that takes like 48 days to leave your system if you're a chronic smoker. Um, but it can only be traced, obviously, if there's a full-blown <laughs> urine, like cannabis sample in your urine. Like, you're not As like, in if you had a joint before you walked in and did your piss yeah. sample. You're saying, like, get the fuck out of the sorry box. <laughs> exactly. Like, they'd be like, they just wouldn't give you a bed, like, and that's yeah. you throwing your future away. Do you know what I mean? That, and that's all down to the addict. You know what I mean? That's down to yourself. You either want it or you don't. You either do the yeah. suggested things or you don't. Like, you know, and if you're bluffing your way through it and you manage to bluff your way through it, you'll only get so far. Do you know what I mean? You have to follow the program. You have mm-hmm. to. You Self-will. Like, if you're the most strong-willed person in the world, addiction will still get the better of you. Do yeah. you know what I mean? You might think you're never going to use again and you could wake up the next morning and use in the morning. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You could be 10 years sober and stop going to meetings for a couple of weeks and then use in the morning, feeling great going to bed and then wake up in the morning and, I don't know, have a drink in your hand or have a needle hanging out of your arm or have a yeah. line, like a note in your nose or anything like, you know, the yeah. addiction never sleeps. Yeah. You know, it's a sneaky illness. <laughs> sneaky sneaky illness because it's it, it's an illness it's it's an illness of the brain it's an illness of your thinking right so in the secondary treatment center it was similar to the primary so like primary was wake up meditation you do your you do everyone has a chore bit of hoovering or whatever um that's just in the morning then you go for breakfast then you do group therapy 
then you do a reading out of the book. There's a, you know, it's it's regimented schedule, mm-hmm. and then you have a couple of hours to chill out at night time. But in the secondary treatment centre, they leave you out for four hours a night. It's three months, they leave you out for four hours a night. You have a little brick phone, like a Nokia, and you can go into the city and go to a meeting. You have to go to five meetings a week, right? Because meetings are the staple of recovery, because that's where you learn all about the recovery programme and what you need to do, the 12 steps. Like the 12 steps isn't like, you know, just like 12 steps on, like there are ways, of, it's a way you're meant to live your life, but like there's reams upon reams of writing you have to do, like. Yeah, okay. 12 steps. Like on step four, you have to do a moral inventory of yourself. So like you have to write down on a page all of your sexual misconduct, all of your um, resentments, um, and you have to write down all of your fears and um, where you went wrong, um, where your thinking has gone wrong, and how you could fix it, you know? Um, mm. And, like, that's, do you know what I mean? Like, your fears, your resentments, and sexual, like, that's heavy stuff, like. But, yes, like, yeah. you do that in your own time. You don't have to do that, like, straight away. You do that whenever you're ready to do that. You work your way through the steps, you know? Um, and it's like, you know, you a lot of people see addiction or recovery like as a, a, um, a religious thing, but it's not religious at all. Like you have to have an understanding of a higher power in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're a higher power. They call it a God of your understanding, right? Mm-hmm. But you could literally take anything as a God of your understanding as long as you believe that that is you know, um, that that has a, that your God of your understanding has a path carved out for you, that your God of your understanding is, you know, what's going to guide you. And what's this is, essentially, it's your subconscious, is it? No, it's what, like, so, like, for me, right, my mm-hmm. God of my understanding is my granddad, Roy, who died when I was two years old, right, my, da- my dad's dad. And my mother, it was easy for me to come to terms with a God of my understanding because I'm not religious, right? Yeah. But my mother, all the way through my life, um, said, said to me, Jesus, your granddad Roy is definitely watching over you. Because mad things happened to me. Like, you know, I fell 30 foot out of a tree before. Like, and I should have died and I didn't die. And my mother always said, you know, your granddad Roy is definitely... Well, for some reason, she was fully believed. And my mother's really religious not religious at all either like yeah but like she'd be a bit spiritual as would i and that's what dna and the aa program and the ga program they're a spiritual non-religious program but like if you want right it could take you it could take you a couple of years to come to understanding of god but like if you try and figure it out enough if you spend enough time praying you know like you can pray to anything like just please help me like guide me guide me please guide me to anything like you know you don't even have to say Mm. anything's name or anything but just if you eventually you will come to an understanding of a higher power like you know yeah it's like a manifestation of what you want to occur like yeah and like exactly but it's a spiritual understanding as well, like, and some yeah. people, people have different views of it, but as long as you have a view of a God of your understanding, whether it be manifestation or whatever, that's one of the staples for recovery. Like, some people's gods, their understanding might be nature, 
you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Nature, nature, please guide me. Like, you know, yeah, do you know, yeah. it could be, do you know, it could be hey. veganism, man. Or Decky, if you're listening, it could be veganism because you're God of understanding, man. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's it. Like, you know, Decky needs to convert all these addicts to veganism, and then all these sorry. These like, meat addicts. <laughs> yeah. You've destroyed the lives of so many lovely plant-loving people. <laughs> but. In saying that, like people should not be afraid of it being a religious program or a spiritual program. You will come to some sort of an understanding eventually if you do the suggested things enough. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as long as you recognize that you're powerless, you're powerless over your addiction and your life will become unmanageable. That's the first step, and you're on your way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like a couple of meetings, well, it depends on who you are. Some people need 10 meetings a week, some people need two or three meetings a week. Um, and you get into the meetings, get in contact with the members, because this is what I was told, everything I was told, these are the suggested things. Try and get a higher power into your life. Get into the meetings. Get into the meetings, number one. Admit that you're an addict. The first thing, admit you're an addict or an alcoholic or a gambling addict or you're in addiction. You need to admit it. You need to say it out loud. You need to believe mm-hmm. it, right? Then get into the meetings and just follow the program, you know? Get a go- try and get a God of your understanding into your life, whether it be the wall, whether it be a piece of dirt. It just it, it, it actually it. sounds like to me like it's fucking like what they're really just trying to get is a lot of serious discipline into people's lives, like isn't it? Like follow a structure kind of you know But it's it's not right. What it is is what it is is one addict helping another. That's mm-hmm. all it is. It's one addict helping another. Um but is that not someone like disciplining themselves to the point as where they can show someone how to discipline themselves? You know, that kind of way, like. Yeah. And with, I suppose with, with anyone in addiction, you need discipline in your life. Not so mm-hmm. much discipline, but you need um, structure. structure. You need structure more than anything. Right. Um, and like. You know, there's things then that will bring you down, like that will can lead to relapse. So like the likes of resentments, holding resentments, you need to try and let them go. You know, yeah. you need to talk to people about them. So like, what would be like an example of one of the resentments that you kind of, you know, that standing out for you that you kind of needed to let go to make sure that you could overcome something like, just so that if someone, you know, like, because it's a hard, pro- I presume it's a hard process to figure out what your resentments are like, because for, for an every, everyday man, like, I presume I have resentments in my head, but I don't, I just don't know. But you see, the thing is, so there's a difference between the addict and the everyday man. The addict will pick up resentments from anything. Okay, like, so this is like a grudge they're holding kind of a thing, is it? Yeah, and they're like grudges you're holding, but there's, some people have hundreds of them. Now, there's obviously big resentments and, like, real ones, like, you know... Like you might hold a resentment against your father for, you know, kicking you out of home when you were fucking. Exactly. And okay. you can't hold on to that. And some people have some serious resentments, like where they were actually really hard done by, and they have to get over those resentments and try and make amends with these people because it's all about leaving the past behind you with addictions, you know what I mean? And starting mm-hmm. a new life for yourself, like, you know. Um, but like, the reason I kind of had a bit of an epiphany a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a bit of a breakthrough with my recovery. 
So how long are I, you? We'll say how long are you post the the actual recovery centre? How long are you out of that? We'll say that twenty eight day program. Twenty eight, twenty two months. Twenty two months. So you're out of it nearly one to two years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means so, you're still going I'm, to these meetings, obviously the AA meetings you, and stuff. You right? have to go to the meetings for the rest of your life. Okay. Right, because. The meetings for me, right? The meetings help me understand why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking, right? Yeah. Because like I could be, this is the only explanation I. This is the way I explain it to my girlfriend, right? Um, like she says to me, you know, you can bring your problems to me, and I said, you wouldn't be able to wrap your head around my problems, like you know, mm-hmm. it's only an addict that would be able to. And that's not disrespecting her, but it's just no, like, not I, at yeah. all. Yeah. But like most of my problems would be like I could be walking down the road, right? Yeah. And I could see a fella, and he might be he might be wearing like I might, don't know him at all, right? And he could be wearing clothes, and you don't like. And I develop a, like a rage and hatred for this fella, and I feel mm-hmm. very hard done by by this fella because he's wearing clothes that I don't like. And like I go into these demented places in my head, right? Yeah. And like then paranoia kicks in anxiety kicks in and all these thoughts are running through my head that my mother hates me my father hates me that fellow walking down the road hates me you know and all it and like all this like crazy thinking this fellow is going to come into my house while i sleep and kill me and this is the way an addict's brain will go these are the places Mm -hmm. an addict's brain will go to and if i didn't have the na and the a rooms Right. Not only do we all have a common thing of being an addiction or whatever, but these people start talking and they start saying these crazy thoughts. And I said, thank fuck anyway, that's my addiction. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not, not just that's, you thinking that someone's going to no, break into your house. These other 20 people here think it as well. Like, yeah, the, 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 this is my addiction thinking because my addiction is a part of my brain. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's an illness of my brain. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my addiction thinking. And then, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. my addiction kicking in and thinking, and then and then I have clarity until uh, until it something kicks off again in my head, and then I get into a meeting, and then it's cleared again. You know what I mean? Yes. Or or I can pick up a phone, right, and I can ring a member. I've about a hundred numbers in my phone of people that I could ring any time of the day or night and say I'm in a fucking heap here, like you know, and yes. they say no bother, like where where are you? Like you know what's going through your head? What are you thinking? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're a support a, network for each other. Like it's a fellowship. It's a fellowship, yeah. and we're all there. And like Lord of the Rings, by yeah, but <laughs> but like a lot of people, like it's almost like like it sounds like a cult <laughs> in a way. Oh, no, like, here we go again. <laughs> but it's not at all. Like you know, it's tried, tested, and proved. Like you know, yeah, that it's a successful way of maintaining recovery. Um, by being in these fellowships and following the recovery program that these fellowships are putting forward, and the thing is, like, there's no like facilitators or anything. It's run by the members. Yeah, like, okay. it's completely run by addicts. Like, there's no counselor. You're all just talk- yeah. There's no focal points to the conversation. You're all just there to to share share with each other. Yeah, and but like yeah. even like the renting of the buildings, the operation of the whole fellowships as a whole is all run by addicts. 
And are you doing? Them. Are you kind of helping run in now, like yourself, and involved with the admin, like getting the halls ready or whatever? That that that's one of the suggested things is to get into service, like. And I'm secretary at a meeting now uh, every Friday night. I hope um, good writing. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that chicken scratch bike. Oh, I still have that chicken scratch. I'll never get rid of that. <laughs> I smoked too much weed in secondary school to learn how to write properly. You forgot how to, you forgot how to write. You started writing <laughs> symbols instead, but no one made sense of them. One of you. <laughs> you made the emo- you made the first emojis. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I done my whole even certain fire emojis, like you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, monkey can't see me or whatever that one is like. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I still got 300 points. <laughs> <laughs> Write your name in Firewood, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, but man. yeah, but like, you know, it's all well and good, right? Like, it, like the help is there and it's free. Do you know, for anyone that's struggling with addiction, the help is there. Like, get into, get into the meetings, look it up. AA Ireland, NA Ireland, GA Ireland, uh, OA Ireland, Overeaters Anonymous, there's CODA meetings, Codependency Anonymous, there's CA, Cocaine Anonymous, and um, it's just a l- little bit different to NA, it's kind of like a mix between NA and What's NA. NA is Narcotics Anonymous, okay. um, which would be like drink included, like it's everything. Um, whereas like there's a lot of old timers in A and see with a lot of young people they're alcoholics they're drug addicts and they're gambling addicts um but you see a lot of the old timers in a they still haven't gotten a grasp on drugs because drugs weren't around like these lads are in recovery 40 years they're in their 80s you mm-hmm. know and they have no idea what drugs are and like they have they think drugs are a completely different thing to alcohol whereas in the na rooms Drugs and alcohol are in the same bracket because alcohol is a drug. It's a substance. It's a mind-altering substance. Yes, okay. Um, and that's what can lead a lot of addicts to relapse as well because they're in NA for drugs and they think that alcohol is different to drugs when it's not. And then they end up relapsing, right? Um, but so there's support there. There's plenty of support there. Like, you know, there's the NA rooms, the AA rooms, all those uh, fellowships. You look it up online, you get the times, dates, meetings. There's meetings everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I went to a meeting in the back of Salitrum in a church that was like 300 years old uh, <laughs> during the winter there, like, you yeah. know, in the middle of the winter. And, and there was... Uh- there was 30 people in the meeting, like, you know. Do you just be in Leitrim and you just check out, like, is there a Facebook page or something and they check to see if there's one There's a website. There's a website. NA Ireland, AA Ireland. um, But it's anywhere in the world. As in, like, you could go to Spain, you could go to Colombia, you could go to anywhere. And these fellowships are the exact same. They're the same program and it's just a different language, you know. But... If you go in and you speak in English, a lot of people will accommodate you and you get to know, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. the same. So no matter where you go in the world, you have support. There's always meetings there, right? Imagine <laughs> yeah. if you walked into the wrong meeting in fucking China or Japan or something like They wouldn't have a clue what you'd be talking about. <laughs> you'd be talking away there about your drinking, like, in a board meeting about or something. fucking... <laughs> 
Oh, God, I'm wiping yeah. But oh, you see, geez. the thing is, like, you'll go into these places and you'll make friends, like, you know, you have things in common, like, and, like, nobody should be scared. It is a daunting thing, and it's a hard thing to do. Jesus Christ, recovery is tough, but recovery gives you the tools to deal with life, to deal mm. with everything life throws at you, you know? Um, and, like, if you're thinking that a treatment centre isn't a viable option for you because you don't have the money, there's ways around that. You can go and see the local drugs worker. There's a local drugs worker in every community, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you can go and see them and they look at ways of getting you into a treatment centre through the government or whatever, like, you know, there's even juvenile yeah. treatment centres now. There's a place called Ashling up the country and it's for under 18s, like, you know. So, like, there's the support is widely available there and all you have to do is do the recommended things any of these treatment centers will tell you the same thing like you know they're all based on the 12 set program like you know yeah um and just get into the middle of it like and if if you're not joking and even if you think you know that there's something up like even if you have a faint idea that you might be an addict or you know if you're struggling with your drinking or whatever get into an aim even and just sit there you don't have to talk nobody has to yeah. talk you know just listen See if you can relate, like, you know, because, like, it will all come crashing down eventually. So you might as well get a head start, even if you're, you know, still drinking here and there. Mm -hmm. Just, like, if you think you're going down that kind of a path, get in and have a look. But, like, there's the thing then, right? A lot of people think that they're suffering with depression, think that they're suffering with anxiety and all this. And in reality, they're actually an addiction and the addiction is causing these things. Mm-hmm. you know um like but me like i was suicidal i still i suffer with anxiety desperately to this day like you know mm-hmm. desperately but i have the tools i've been given the tools to work you know to, yeah. to, to live my life to manage my life with it do you know what i mean yeah um so like the, the, the help is there for that then like as well like you know what i mean it, like even if you know I had no idea how bad my anxiety, because a lot of people are using on these feelings then and drinking on these feelings and it's just leaving them worse, like, you know, and mm-hmm. with that, then you're playing with fire there, especially with the likes of depression or like bipolar or something like that, like, you know, and, yeah. but recovery first, like, chance your arm at recovery and see how that goes beyond it. Like a lot of people do have been diagnosed with these things long before they were ever in addiction as well. Like, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that it always comes from that, but getting into recovery can help these things make them more manageable and give you the tools to deal with these things as well. And there's also plenty of helplines there for that as well. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's the Samaritans, there's um uh Pieta House, Pieta House do amazing work there, like, you know, um and like there's no shortage of help, like, is the fucking bottom line. Like, the just bottom line Google is it. The, Everyone has a phone, Google, like, fucking... And don't, try not to be scared, I know, and just talk. The, the bottom line is talk about it. Yeah. Like, somebody will be able to relate to you, whether it be to do with depression or addiction or whatever. You never know, like, you know, somebody is watching over you. Like, 
and somebody will someone's be your spirit god is, is that what it's called yeah, so so someone is your higher but there is a higher, higher, higher spirit higher spirit what was what were you calling it i can't remember no, uh, uh, a god of your own understanding god of your own understanding but 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 like everyone there is a higher power i believe there's a higher power there for everyone it's just about coming to understand it and if you are struggling to talk and you're like you know if you're suffering with depression or you're suffering with anxiety or anything like that like talk to somebody like and it's yeah. if that's out there that's becoming more available information by the day like there's massive mental health pushes there like you know but like talk to somebody whether it be your mother or father or anybody like you know a random or on the street like you know yeah, there's yeah. also helplines there that are completely anonymous the smartphones the the house any of them like you know but mm. talk that just you need to like people need to talk i can't stress it enough you know uh mm. Like, you know, it's just talk, especially, talk, talk, like especially with men, like men don't talk, like, you know, um yeah. men don't talk at all. It's all about manning up. And that just everything inside you ends up piling up and then the box inside you ends up overflowing and you break down. Like somebody I know there, family member, um like him and his buddies they're friends since they're very young like you know they went to primary school together they come up the whole way and they're they're men's men like you know they mm. don't really as far as i understand they don't talk about their emotions like you know yeah and um, they would just take the piss out of each other the whole time as men tend to do like you yeah, know yeah. But these the, the piss take these as it was ridiculous but they're after losing two of their group from primary school to suicide yeah, um, yeah. and like that wasn't, I don't, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but I don't think that was talked about either, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it shows, like, you know, people aren't talking when suicide is happening and stuff, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's a problem that we have in this country as well, like, people do not talk, especially men, it's all about man enough. it's all about yeah. bottling your Definitely own. from a young age as well, man, there's a lot of people that would kind of, you know, like, we we always as a family anyway growing up like we would have always you know now look this is you know you hear about someone that's obviously taking their own life but you talk about it at the dinner table and i remember my mother was telling me you know she obviously was talking to someone in in i don't know shopping or something they were talking about god isn't it awful like and she just happened to mention that she told myself and decky about it like and she said oh god would you tell them about that sort of a thing? Like, but obviously she wasn't telling her kids at all, you know, like that this stuff happens. So there's yeah. a lot of like, you know, people are shielded from it. And then when it kind of happens, when you grow up, you don't know what the fuck is going on really like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I think I, being exposed to all this kind of stuff is very important as well. Like, you know, just being, being exposed to it and realizing like, you know, I've, I've a couple of relatives as well, like they struggle with drink, like, and we were never, you know, we were never told any otherwise, you know, we were never told they were like, they didn't have alcoholism or, you know, they didn't, you know, have addiction. Like we always knew that's what it looks like to have that, you know, yeah. and this is what happens when you drink too much, you know, yeah. you lose family members, you say stupid shit, you get fucked over, you know, like we were exposed to this. So we kind of knew if you're to continue going down this road with drinking too often becomes a habit and look you fuck over people and you fuck over your own life internally yeah and that that's like that's that's an exposure is massive like i I think anyway huge like they my my girlfriend was saying to me uh 
a couple of weeks ago um that they're giving she was like they're giving mental health talks to um primary school kids now she was like i don't think that's right like um she was like sure there's kids killing themselves over in america like you know there's 10 year olds and whatnot <clears throat> in the uk even i think like have committed suicide like you know yeah and she was like you know maybe that's from the exposure but it's not from the exposure i i spent where i was like the kids need to know about these things because they need to know that they need to talk but they like not about suicides they don't need to know about suicides like and that's not what in these mental health talks, suicides, especially with kids, that wouldn't be talked mm. about, like, you know. But, like, they need, from a young age, kids need to be taught about mental health. They need to be taught about addiction. Um, Not so young as primary school with addiction. Yeah. But, but, like, secondary school, it needs to be drilled in from first year about addiction, like, you know, and it needs yeah. to be normalised. You'd be you'd be surprised, man, how fucking fast kids catch on as well. Like, I mean, a child of six or seven, they're like, you know, you slip up and say fuck or sex around them. They're like, and they're repeating it straight away. Like, they're fucking cute enough. Like, you know, they know what's going on. Like, so they no, I wouldn't go tending on the boards and the bees when they're fucking four and five. <laughs> this is what happens, you know. But I would yeah. like, you know, you kind of do expose them to the, the harshnesses in life as well. Like, you can't you can't just push them to the side and you know cover them and say you'll never see this this you know you're bubble wrapped like you know well that, that's the way that's the that's the way it is these days like you know like and, and there's uh, obviously the social media as well man are just like that's that's just fucking you know it's it's like airbrushing everyone you know no one's got a problem like you know it's my best foot is forward you don't see me on my bad day no I, I, Jesus, like no one wants to see a picture of someone crying all the time. You know, yeah. you know, you're, <laughs> no yeah. one wants to see that. You want to see happy photos. But I, I had a friend like it'll just tell you the, the amount of shit on social media. Like I had a friend I was working with before, and he was telling me that he was trekking in Machu Picchu, climbing up to the big fucking mountain, like. Yeah, yeah. And the sweat he said hopping off and was something cruel. Like I was a fucking hot, sweaty environment. Like, yeah. and you get a bus to some hill and you trek the rest of it up. I think. But these girls were trekking, obviously, in in their fucking, I suppose, their workout gear. I don't know what they were, leggings, vest top, whatever. Next thing they got to the top of the hill, threw on a fucking dress, got the hair done, like, when they did each other's hair, for the fucking picture, like. They took the yeah. picture, didn't dress down again and back down the hill. It's, that it's was it, like, just to so put the best foot forward on... But that's, that's the way the world has gone. It's so fucking dangerous. Like, similar to that now... My buddy was in New Zealand for a year working, um, and as a, he's a chef, like, and he went over to New Zealand to work as a chef, and he was going to see these amazing places in New Zealand, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he said, like, they could be at the bottom of this glacier, right? There's glaciers in New Zealand. They could be at the bottom of this glacier or this ninety mile beach or whatever. He said he's seen this happening, and this fucking wedding party pulls up right and runs up to the glacier takes a quick photo at the glacier gets back into the car then like a boyfriend and girlfriend pull up walk up take a selfie at the glacier and just literally leave straight away and fuck off there's like like, it's instant gratification they just want to see that like they don't take it in like like this is one of the biggest structures like fucking natural structures you'll see like this is moving ice river like this is like that it's like but they've no they've no appreciation they've just seen like oh this is a fucking top spot on instagram there's a lot of hashtags for this exact area let's go here take a picture and fuck off 
Yeah, and that's that's why that's that's the way the world has gone. It's all about selfie, and it's the fucking most dangerous thing going. It's a massive contribution to mental health, especially in women, especially in girls, because these girls are going to these amazing places. They're getting all these surgeries and whatnot, and they're you know doing lots of work in the gym and all this, and then putting on full faces of makeup, going to these amazing places and then yeah. taking photos and only posting the best stuff and photoshopping and all this and posting that up and they're getting thousands of followers for it yeah. and then these normal girls are looking at it and they're getting depressed off their heads because they think that's the norm like yeah, and yeah. there's no way they could achieve that like there's no way it, like most people could afford all this plastic surgery and this and that you know what I mean and it's yeah. it's 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 perverting it the is, mind it is, it is fucking people's minds a bit like to be fair like you know it's so what's so what's your story now danielle are you the last 22 months what are you are you back work you you were saying to me actually yesterday you're fucking back surfing big time are you yeah i'm uh flat out i was uh, so i'm back at the apprenticeship now it's electrical instrumentation um so it's like you know the instrumentation side of it there's a lot of physics and like you know, applied maths and things like that. Staying away um, from the dodgy boys on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but then the electrical is like basic electrician, like, you know, you're a standard yeah. electrician. Um, so I'm at that, um, but the site's closed for COVID. Last Any sparks, boy, that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, boy. Best spark in the country. But uh, <laughs> the site's closed for COVID last year, and I said to my mother, I said, look, if I get... Um, temporary leave for COVID. I said I'm moving to Bundoran straight away, and uh, she said you will, yeah. So I got temporary leave on the Friday, and I was living in Bundoran on the Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, in a rented house. Uh, and I lived up there for five months until the site opened again. Um, and I just surfed, surfed, yeah. surfed, went out. Because uh, I'd be kind of, I have aspirations to surf big waves. I prefer mm. like surfing bigger waves, but I'm still smoking fags. It's hard to give up the fags. It's hard to give up every vice. Yeah. So I, I actually saw out. you there in the fucking the old fucking. Yeah. That's because I want to get out. smoke like. <laughs> on the vape, yeah. Because I, I, I'm trying to get out off the fags to get my lungs good for surfing big stuff now this winter. Like you know, I want to get out to more. Under like for a good while. What? Yeah, yeah. Under like. That's it, yeah. Like you know, like Mullochmore now and things like I paddled out to Mullochmore uh, on a smaller day last year. Like it was about eight foot, um, eight by the ten footish, the ten some ten foot sets. Like um, um, and I got a couple of waves out there. Uh, and like you know, reacquainting was... with old friends. So again, is it? Yeah, big time, big time. Well, I touched him with fellas there that I haven't seen since I'm sixteen. Like you know, and they're back, all happy back. to see you. Yeah, I had delighted that I was doing well and all, and, you know, um, and I was able to reconnect with a lot of people, like, a lot of my childhood friends, like, a lot of the girls that I grew up with now, like, you know, they've been very good to me, great friends of mine, uh, made new friends as well through people that I grew up with and stuff, all people that have my best interests and I have their best interests because I'm not, like, I'm completely here, like, you know, I'm back to who I am like I've yeah, regained yeah. my values and my morals and all that like and I've lost friends too you know through things that I've done in addiction that people mm-hmm. can't forgive me for like you know and it's really sad because I am 
completely changed and I am sorry and I am do want to make amends for things like but some people are just struggling to get back and that's the consequences of addiction like you know and it's yeah. on my mind a lot but I kind of have to hand it over and hand it over to the higher power like and try and get a bit of relief from that you know what I mean and not think about it too much but I I do plan on making amends with everybody and I'm trying to make amends with people at the moment but some people did like I said don't understand addiction don't understand how recovery works um and you know it might take a while it might never happen you know yeah but I just need to keep living my life and trying to keep my side of the road clean doing the right things the right things will happen for me that kind of way like you know are uh, you how are you finding like are your bodies now like how are you finding going out with them or do you just take yourself out of that situation say boys I'll come out, call over in the morning when you're all finished like or you know kind of no I see because I'm so extroverted um a lot of people are in 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 in, in introverts introvert. yeah um and that's why they use and that's why they like become addicts because it helps them bring the like come out of themselves but with me I'm so extroverted I'm lucky enough with a strong recovery program in my life and with people that I know have the best interest my best interest at heart I can go down to the pub and sit around people with obviously with an escape plan and whatever else in place you have your fucking seven up and you'll pop out the door like yeah, or but like I might even see I'm still mad, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, like, no. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I I I still like Jesus. Like we were up in Mullor, and there there was two houses of us living up there, right? And I was just got with my girlfriend. Just uh, we we knew each other years. She saw me in the depths of addiction, and we got together there just before I moved up to Mullor, and like we reconnected and got together, mm. and. Uh, she uh we got together and one night one of the lads turned 27 up in Bundoran and we were having a party there was about 22 of us in the middle of lockdown and there was two houses and everyone was in one house and there was three of us in the other house yeah <laughs> and my girlfriend came over to check on me because like she'd be worried sick about me a lot of the time like you know yeah, she's yeah. very good like you know she's amazing um I love her to bits but uh she came over to what's check- her name <laughs> Sorsha, Sorsha Casey. Shout out to Sorsha Casey. From <laughs> but uh she came into the house and like I was what just over a year in recovery at this point, and three of the lads, like all the lads were drunk and a few of them were on mushrooms and this and that, like and she came in, three lads were kind of tripping out on the couch, like I was up on the table with my top off, with the tunes blaring, swinging my knees right over my head. And the boys were staring at me like, what's this nutcase? And my girlfriend came in, she was just like, you are right? Oh no, yeah. he's done it again. She was like, are, are, are you good? Like, and they were like, the boys were like, he's the only sober fella around, what's wrong with him? <laughs> but like, you know. You were drunk on life, like. Drunk on life. And it's only because I have a strong recovery program in my life. And I have, a lot of people that care about me in my life, you know, um, and like that will come. Do you know what I mean? Like that comes with recovery. Like you know, you'll get people that care about you from the rooms, like from NA and A, whatever. Like you know, people care about you in those rooms. Like you know, has has anyone tried to fucking get you back into it? Like has anyone said, "Are oh, you have a point left?" Or do or do they respect you enough to say, "No, like look, we're not even gonna fucking play with you here." Like. 
Yeah, no. Um, anyone that I put myself around, see, I wouldn't put myself around anyone that I even have a thought that they might do that. And do you think that, like, if you were out with him, that you would be tempted, like, or would you be strong enough now where you say, look, once someone offers you that, you're not a real friend, you know, like, fuck it, I'm heading home, I kind of. Yeah. If anyone was trying to get me back into it, I'd say be quickly excommunicated, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, like, Headshot, the thing is, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing is, like I have to live my life one day at a time. You know, I can't project into the future. Obviously, I can make plans about you know me and my girlfriend, the life where we plan on living together. Like you know, like obviously, like I can make plans of get my apprenticeship finished in the next two years, go to Australia, New Zealand, working for a couple of years with my girlfriend with me. That's our plans. Like, but other than that. I can't project. I need to live every day by the day, like you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. You keep when yourself you... good and busy, like, and fucking just live it day by day, like. Yeah, day, day one day at a time, because the world record for sobriety is twenty four hours. <laughs> the world record for sobriety is twenty four hours because you live your life one day at a time. Obviously, there's people with 10 years in recovery or whatever, but all that matters is one day every day. Oh, okay. Because all you can, all you can, when you're an addict in recovery, all you can have is that day because you could wake up in the morning and you could use, mm-hmm. you know, because your illness, it's an illness of the mind. Yeah. Like, but that's why you need to keep a strong recovery program in your life and keep live your life one day at a time one day at a time but that's why they say the world recover world the world record for recovery is 24 hours it's an a and a saying like is that getting any spot in the guinness book of records (laughs) (laughs) world record one day it's an anonymous program it's a a good it's a good saying fairness fucking hell but uh, oh jesus denway it's fucking brilliant to hear that you're fucking back on track like and you know what you don't even seem that different (laughs) Which no. is a good thing, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, there's no, but there's no difference talking to you now. No, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like that's like you know what you don't want someone that's like you know never so pure as a reformed whore kind of job like you know. Like, <laughs> so, do you know what I mean though? But like you know, if you're a priest about things like. Yeah, yeah, like that. But that's what they call a dry drunk then as well. Like people who yeah, can't yeah. enjoy themselves, like you know, once they come into recovery, like you know. Um, but I suppose, like, there's, it's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It can be a bad thing because I am a loud fucker, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were doing an electronics module there, like, you know, for the apprenticeship, like, and it was all these complex maths and stuff like that and soldering and transistors and all this. We're like fucking rain, man, I suppose. And uh, I was inside in the classroom when I was going fucking shouting this and that and having the crack and I came around to the exam and I got 90 fucking 3% or something like, and... The teacher sat me down. He was he's Malaysian, and he said, uh, he said, he goes, well done on this. He goes, and well done. You're very strong for you know staying off the drinking drugs and all this. But he says you need to stop talking. He said. He just said, just talk less, please. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry about annoying you for the last six weeks. Yeah, yeah, but you probably have so much to say, like, you know what I mean? (laughs) But you see, as well, I'm still a fucking messer, do you know what I mean? I'll still, I'll still go on fucking talking nonsense, do you know what I mean? We're all the same, like, I wouldn't say me and you are two different in that sense, like, you know? 
No, no, no. I like the fucking crack, like, and I like a good old shit take, piss taking, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, I, I find it very strange when I'm in a conversation with someone that I can't horse abuse at, like, you know, like, or, or I can't take abuse off, you know, if, I'm, if it's kind of one-way traffic, I'm very, I actually get kind of awkward talking to people, you know? So but, like, it, it reminded me, like, I actually was smiling and laughing listening to the podcast to you and Becky uh, earlier on, because I was... <laughs> It reminded me of you, like, and it reminded me of Decky and the way you are, like, with each other and the way stupid fucking taking the piss out of each other. Yeah, yeah, and then like the crack that was had and stuff years ago, like, you know, it's just it it brought a smile to my face, like it was. He's gone. He's gone very fucking. He's gone very posh now, Dan. Yeah. I was thinking that. I was thinking he was gone kind of posh. Sorry. (laughs) He he was like he was giving out to me like um. I actually told you yesterday on the phone, like, you know, I I kind of want, not that I don't want to do research on things before I can, you know, go into the, the chats with people, but I want it to be off the cuff, you know, like, if I went into this conversation, like, no, there was things I wanted to know after talking to you yesterday, so I had these things that I wanted to know and ask questions about, but, you know, I didn't want to know everything about recovery, you know, I didn't want to go researching that because I wanted to hear it from you. Yeah. So with him yesterday or last week, like I have, I had a massive interest in this kind of psychedelics yeah. use for mental health, and I wanted to know that from him, and I wanted to make it as interesting as possible for the people listening, because there's no good for them to listen to someone who are complete not experts in it, but fairly well versed, because then how is the normal fucking Joe Soap that's never heard of this topic before going to react when they're saying big fucking words like psilocybin and things like this <laughs> if I'm not asking what it is and what it does. Mm. Yeah, and like I was thinking that listening to it, I was like, Dave's dumbing this down a bit here, like you know. <laughs> Dave's very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I knew you we were doing it on purpose so people would understand it, like because anyone who hadn't done a bit of research on it wouldn't have a clue what yeah. like psilocybin is or messing The words or themselves, like man, would fucking scare you. To be honest, there's yeah, you know, there, there's fucking words there that you could clap out three times. There's more than three syllables in them, like you yeah. Know? <laughs> But at the same time, it's a very relevant conversation because there's I I have been explaining to my mum in the past, like uh, Russell Brand spoke about the use of. He's brilliant to listen to him. Yeah, and he spoke about the use of um, uh, psychedelics, um, like LSD, I think in particular, um, for addiction, like to help with addiction. He was a sex addict and and drug addict and everything, wasn't he? Yeah, but he couldn't use, uh, like, so he believes in the use of um, psychedelics for, like, treatment of addiction and things like that, um, and mental health and all that, but he couldn't, you know, help, like, experiment with them to help his addiction or anything like that because he abused them in addiction. Mm-hmm. And I was I was actually the same because I, I, I I'd been hearing these things like, oh, yeah, you know, LSD and all this can help with addiction, like, you know. Well, you were hoping you were going to get an old fucking visit and from it, the mother earth, like. And it, it was kind of in the back of my head. And then I heard Russell Brand say that. And then I just went, because I experimented with every fucking psychedelic under the sun, like. Yeah. I was doing all, I was doing, <laughs> there was no one visited you in your time in evil. No, there was nobody visited <laughs> me, like. I was doing research oh, chemicals and everything. <laughs> I was doing 2CI, 2CA, 2CB, fucking any research chemical that would give me a trip that I could get my hands on, LSD, fucking yeah, any yeah. of them, do you know what I mean? 
And I had no visits from angels. I had, I had visits from the devil, if anything. <laughs> you went to the wrong world, man. Yeah, it's all about the right time and the right mindset, like, as Stephanie. And the right, obviously, like, you can't go treating yourself, like, you can't go self-prescribing yourself. Yeah, you like, can't you sit know? on the couch, take a shot of mushrooms and wake up and say, boys, <laughs> sorted. I kicked it. I cut up them fucking cigarettes, boy. I don't yeah. Jesus, I kicked this schizophrenia. <laughs> I'm cured. Yeah, walk out the door and my fucking slaps you in the face, a big old fucking needle of heroin. Literally. <laughs> yeah. But um what's Jesus Christ man, we've been talking here for a good while. Some poor Lord. soul is gonna look at the clock at this now next Monday morning when it goes like one hour fifty six minutes, not a prayer am I listening to that sickening cunt. You, you'll, you, you'll have to write a big uh, a, a big thing powerful message here now and all <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like Trick people in to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like the Dally the Dally Mason. The Dally Lama boy. The Dalai Lama. <laughs> I sit down with the Dalai Lama from crack to fucking the back on track. Yeah. And, here, and here he is finishing off the session with uh, 50 Cent and the game. Um, what's that song that you used, Rav? Um, Hater or Love It or Red Hater or Love It on the dogs on top. <laughs> oh, God, I remember when I heard you rap that for the first time, I fucking got some skit off it. It's just a oh. funny song to know, like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stop. Yeah, they're stop. all with underdogs on top, boy. I'm going to shine. You're back, you're back on top. Do you know what, yeah, Dan, boy? I suppose we left it there. Yeah. We do, leave it parting, there. do you have a fucking parting message there like, that you want to get out to people? Um, yeah. Because it's a fucking, you know, it, it's a fucking serious, serious illness. Like, and look, you've come out the other side of it, and hopefully you'll stay on this side of it. And it's fucking, it's really, really nice to catch up with you again. I know there's a lot of, like, we have mutual friends that yeah. are going to fucking love hearing this because I've had people saying back to me, you know, that I haven't seen in a while. It's nice to hear the voice. And, you know, it's like chatting to someone again. Yeah. So like you said with me and Decky, it's nice to hear that. And it, it'll be nice for people, you know, especially the lifeguards or whatever that we know mutually to hear this. Yeah. But also, I hope, like, your buddies now, maybe there's people that, you know, have seen your, your post like I have. And from afar, but hadn't had the balls or, you know, couldn't get up the courage to talk to you or well, they can talk to whoever they need to talk to, you know. And that that that's it. Like, you know, there has been people get on to me and, you know, ask for advice and help and things like that. Like, and I try and help as best I can. But what I will say, pardon, like, it, 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 it really has been great to catch up, like, and uh, I would like to catch up further, so I might give you uh, a ring <laughs> next week or something. Um, yeah, and we'll bring, we'll bring Decky on and rip into him about veganism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what, 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 I, what I will say is um, anyone that's struggling or with mental health or addiction or any any kind of mental illness like um addiction being one of them the main one i would have any knowledge about uh would be to to talk like there is help there like you know um it's one of the good things of the computer age like you know you can google it like you know there's plenty of treatment centers in cork like you know arbor house is a very handy one to start off like a meetings, NA meetings, whatever your GA meetings, whatever your addiction may be, um, 
there is loads of help there, like just reach out, like, you know, um, and I suppose uh, if you know anybody in recovery, like reach out, they'd be more than willing to help, like, uh, and point you in the right direction um, for anyone that is struggling out there and with the likes of mental health and all that, like, you know, there's plenty of services there, like I already mentioned, like, you know, Samaritans and Pieta House and all that, like, you know, and just talking, like, just talk, say it to somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, like, you know, if you're struggling with anything, get it out of your head, like, you know, because I know that works for me and it works for a lot of people that I know um, who have good recovery behind them and they're recovering from mental health, like, you know, talking is the only cure, like, you know, um, for it. Um, and professional help as well, obviously, will come in time, but start by just talking, like talk to somebody, tell, any, mm. tell somebody, work up the courage and tell somebody, even if it's a random stranger, like, you know, I've had strangers hit me up and I'm more than happy to answer messages. Anyone gets on to me asking about addiction or anything like that, or, you know, is coming to me wondering about addiction, I always answer questions, like, even if I don't know them, you know, so... Uh, mm reach out to somebody, even if it's someone famous online, like, you know, that's in recovery, like, you know, I'm sure Russell Brand would be obliged to answer, like, you know, I know that he's um, chaired, he's chaired NA meetings in Cork, like, you know, he's <laughs> said his piece at NA meetings in Cork over Zoom and stuff like that, Jeez. so, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 people are more than happy to help, so just reach out, like, you know, if anybody's mm. struggling, like, or it's too late, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's all I will say, really. Um, thank you, Dan. That was freaking wise words from a wise man. I think the title of this one, man, is going to be from crack to back on track. Um, <laughs> so it's something along them lines. But anyway, I'll freaking turn off the recording here, man, and we'll just have a second off. Right. Thanks, sure. everybody. Good luck. Thanks, yeah.